Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, hello, everybody. Well, hello, everybody. It's January 30th. You're alive. God woke you up. Amen, right? Hallelujah. Everybody want to know what happened to me? Okay, some of you have no clue what that means, huh? Um, We didn't have Bible study Tuesday night. It was going to be the first one, and I had to cancel. I had a a medical thing happen to me. And and so just, I'm trying to get through this as quick as I can, but it won't go that quick. Uh, But um, I was driving, and um, I, I I just left studying at the coffee shop I study at, and I'm coming down Magnolia Avenue, going to get there by Lowe's, South Corona. It's going to get on the freeway uh, to drive here. And thank God that I missed the on-ramp, the first on-ramp to the freeway, because it would have happened while I was accelerating on the freeway. But I stopped at the red light. And um, all of it, I'm sitting there, guys, and this never happened before. Everything started to shrink. Everything started to go dark. And, like, I'm just going down. I'm just, I'm going out. And, and all this is happening, like, four seconds. And... I, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm either stroking or I'm dying. That's really what, because I don't know what's going on. And I knew enough to put my truck in park because I didn't, once I passed out or whatever happened, I didn't want to ram the car in front of me. And I was going to reach and I was going to grab the door, open it up and just either fall out or whatever so somebody could see this guy's in trouble, call 911. And this was my plan. All in four seconds time. That's how fast my brain is thinking. And so I'm about, I turn to put it in park, I reach to do this, and before I, I, I can open the door, I could feel myself, okay, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. And uh, so then, uh, okay, so I put it in drive, and the light turns green, and I drive into the parking lot, and I'm scared as I'm driving because I thought, what if I pass out now? What if, stro- what if this, what if that? You know, now your mind's running everywhere, and it's, and it's, it's scary because it's never happened before. So I sat there for about five minutes just to compose myself. I call my wife. She doesn't answer her phone. (laughs) That should have been on the resume before we got married. Any amen out there? Right? Am I right? I'm going to do a whole seminar on that, okay? So, uh, and and she always says, you never answer your phone. (laughs) Now, so that, okay, I'm going to drive home. So I drive home. And I go inside, I call Kaiser to try to get an appointment. I couldn't get an appointment until the next day. Not their fault. I'm not against Kaiser. I'm not here to badmouth anything. But I'm sitting there, and because of this, I, I don't, guys, and I'm not saying this, just say, I don't get scared of things. And I sure don't get shook about things. And I sure don't get emotional about things. But I'm sitting there with my wife. You can ask this is true. I'm shook, I'm emotional. I, like the saltine watery substance that's coming out of my eyes and, and you know I'm thinking and I start telling her you know I go babe I go because I'm thinking if I if, if this something if I die I'm telling her okay you got to take the living trust where is it it's, it's you know I tell her it's a, you take this you go you take you take it to my take it to Vina my accountant that's the first thing you got to do okay and then the 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 life insurance policy is policies in there and I'm thinking to myself okay I don't know 
I don't know Mike Enrique Sr. If you're, in, if you're not, if you're watching, whatever. I said, take that to Mike Enrique Sr. He'll know what to do with that. He used to be in insurance, stuff like that. Take that life insurance policy, do that. And then I said, now, remember, I said, remember, that's tax-free money, the life insurance policy. And then here's your step one. Here's step two. Here's what you do. You could probably sell the house, downsize it, do that. You probably have to because I'm not there to do the artwork anymore and everything else. And I'm going through everything in my mind because I'm going to die in the next second, right? Because, you know, we go to the furthest extreme of life when we, these things happen. And I'm so emotional and I'm, and I'm thinking because all this time I'm thinking to myself and here's the way I feel in my heart. It's the way I feel. It's like, you know, I, 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 my wife and I pray every night and one of the prayers I pray is give us, give us 20 years more of good health. I want to see my grandkids grow up. And I love the fact that I'm only four blocks away from two of my grandkids and I'm about four miles from two other grandkids and I always want to be next. I'm never moving from my grandkids. I didn't work my whole life to move from those kids. I'm going to stay with those kids. And let me tell you why. Uh, There's multiple reasons, but first off, I love them. Um, I never knew my grandparents. My dad's dad was murdered when he was, my dad was a year and a half. My mother's dad, as I told the story in Cycle Breaker, Cycle Makers, he left the family when she was 10 years old. Just rode off on a train. Bye, see you later, kid. And she never saw him again. So I never knew my granddad. So my grandkids are going to know granddaddy. Not G-Pa, not grandpa, not papa, but granddaddy, okay? I know three syllables is tougher for them to say, okay? But we're working on it. But so it's like, and I'm, all this thing is flowing through my mind. I want, I want my grandkids. I don't want, I want to be there for them. I want this. And, you know, and, and so, so then I go to the, get to go to the doctor on Thursday. So I'm struggling this whole week long. And this finally get in there. And the doctor, you know, he walks in. And I thought he just graduated intermediate school and stuff like that. Because <laughs> it's not my regular doctor. Because my regular doctor is busy. So, you know, I, and I'm looking at the guy. And I go, because I'm real nosy. I go, how old are you? And he said, oh, I'm about to have my first kid. I go, okay, doc, but how old are you? He goes, 32. I go, oh, my gosh. I have clothing older than you, okay? So, um, but let me tell you what he said. Can I tell you? Because the staff doesn't believe me, and I wish I got it recorded. He said, I, I saw your chart. I thought I was going to walk in here and see an old guy, not with a cane, but close. And then I walk in, and I have a skater in front of me, okay? <laughs> you look like you're in your 40s. I go, I could have told my friends that, okay? And so, um. But, uh, but then he starts to ask me questions, and, uh, and uh, I told him, I said, I already had the MRI here when I used to have, remember I had the dizziness for a year and a half, but it was that tooth and everything else, and they did the MRI, and there was no tumors, but all they saw was a picture of Jesus in my head, but anyway, that's another story, and so, <laughs> I'm going to be at the improv in Ontario later on, yeah. but, uh, and then so he says, I tell him what happened, he goes, did you eat in the morning? I go, no, I never eat in the morning. I just never eat in the morning. I just don't want to. I, I'm the kind of guy who can go nine hours without eating. Just fine. Okay, I better eat now. He goes, you need to eat. Because, see, I started getting, like, fuzzy in my head and, and a little bit of dizziness again on that, that Thursday. And this happened on Tuesday. So about four or five days of that. And I, so what I did was, I, um, so he thought it was a, a blood sugar drop. He says, you need to eat. And then I said, well, there's another thing. I go, any of you buy that um, over-the-count, over-the-counter, but you got to show your driver's license for that strong sinus medication? Anybody ever buy that? Raise your hand if you buy that, if you know what I mean. Okay, you know that? I, I use it. Okay. Now, so I took one Monday night, and then I took another one Tuesday morning, and uh, if you have high blood pressure like me, you shouldn't take that, 
And so I, I told him, I, I took this and this and that, and I have high blood, you can see in my chart. He goes, yeah, you really shouldn't do that, okay? Okay. Um, but you're 32 years old, okay? <laughs> but, and so, um, and then I, and then, and then he continues to check me, and he says, let me, let me, I go, but I felt this. He goes, let me look up, you know, he looks at the light up. He goes, yeah, you have a little bit of viral something, nasal drip stuff. He looks at my throat, he goes, oh, yeah, you have something. So he gives me all the over-the-counter stuff, you know, like, I don't know if you've, the saline stuff and the Flonase. And anybody do that right there? That works wonders, man. It's incredible. I felt like I was born again again. <laughs> and and uh, so in the sepulchral for your throat, and gosh, it did, did the trick. You know, why didn't I learn this 20 years ago? And so that's, they, that's what they think what it was. That's, that's what almost knocked me out. I just thank God I wasn't on the freeway. I wasn't on the freeway accelerating. I missed the on-ramp for whatever reason, and I was at a red light. And thank God it happened that way. But that's what happened. And that's why we canceled Bible study, just as a precaution. I didn't want to cancel. I told my wife, I feel terrible. I let everybody down. She goes, why do you feel that way? I go, I just feel that way. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's just like I said I was going to do this. And when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I do it. So I'm ready to start teaching on Tuesday, okay? I've already typed out, done three of the teachings. I'm three weeks up now. We're going to start Gospel of John. It's going to be fantastic. You, if you want to grow in the Word of God, Tuesday night right here at 7 o'clock. It's a Bible study, and that's all it is, okay? This is not a big worship service. It's a Bible study. We're going to record it. It runs about 50 minutes, maybe an hour, and then it'll go on our social media platforms the next day. But if you come Tuesday nights, bring your Bible. Bring a pad and pen. Be ready to go. Be ready to learn because we live in an illiterate, biblically illiterate nation now. We want to grow in the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. Okay. Today's question, why doesn't God do something about evil and suffering? You ever wonder that one? You ever been asked that one? Here's the typical idea of it. Let's put the thing up on the screen there, the statement. Let me read it to you, then I'm going to ask you the question. Here's typically what comes at us. If God is good, then he must not be powerful enough to deal with all the evil and injustice in the world, since it's still going on. If he is powerful enough to stop wrongdoing, then he himself must be an evil God, since he's not doing anything about it, even though he has the capability. So which is it? Is he a bad God or a God that's not all-powerful? See how the question works itself? It's a, it's a legitimate question, is it not? And as a Christian follower of Christ, we should be able to give some decent answers. Now, I'll, I'll tell you that in all this series on answers, there are some people, no matter how many answers you give them, it don't even matter. They're just going to be set the way they are. How many know what I'm talking about? You can give them all the evidence you want. It doesn't matter. But don't give up on them. Just keep praying for them because God loves them too, correct? Okay, so let's, let's, let's bring the question down to simplicity. I'm going to ask you, you give me your five, ten second, don't stand up and give me your discourse, okay? I'm the preacher teacher. <laughs> Quickly, somebody asks you, why doesn't God, if God is all loving, why doesn't God do something about evil and suffering in this world? Raise your hand, somebody, three or three of you, tell me what. Right there, Tim. He gives, us free will choice. He gives you free will. Stop, Tim, because you're writing my message out right now. <laughs> it's 
a good thing I've known Tim for like 15 years or whatever, or else I'd be thoroughly offended right now. By, but you're right. Free will. God says free will choice, either good or bad. Love him or not. That's right. What else would you say? Anybody else? What would you say? Come, they're going to ask you. Way over there. Yeah, did you read my notes? No, okay. Because we live in a fallen... This is not the world God made, right? We live in a fallen world. Never forget that one right there. Like Peter says later on, he says, the world that was, meaning before the flood of Noah, the way things were before, is a different world. What else? What else would you say? Anybody? Oh, right there. I would say love overcomes evil. A love overcomes evil. Explain that to me real quick, because I love putting you on the spot. Yeah, exactly, okay, good point, good point. And love, we'll get into love in the message, okay? Okay, stop right there because of my... One more back there. Okay, somebody's shaking their hand at me like I better call him. Go ahead. That Adam, huh? And it took a woman to point out it's a man's fault. Oh my gosh. You fell right into my trap, sis. I'll give you the $20 later for that, okay? Now, let's hold that thought right there because we got to answer the question. And let's look at the key verse for the series. Would you read it with me? One, two, three. But. Now, let's start again. You're not all helping me out here. Here we go. One, two, three. But. Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Leave it up there just for a second for me, guys. Okay, so it says here people are going to ask us the question. You could take it off. I know the verse. I'm so sorry. It says people are going to ask us stuff about our faith. Now, why would they ask us stuff? Because they see something about us that's different. Uh, Tuesday, right before I had the episode, I was at this coffee shop where I study at, and, um, uh, and um, this girl walks by. She sees my Bible all written up, and because I write in my Bible, and she sees that, and she figured I knew a little bit about the Bible. And so she goes, can I ask you questions? I don't even know her at all. I go, sure, go ahead. An hour later, <laughs> but it was one of those divine appointments, and I'm answering her questions uh, for about one hour, and she's asking. Now, it turns out she's a believer, but people need to see something about you that triggers them to want to ask you a question, correct? That's why I say don't read your Bible off your phone at lunch or at work. Take a little Bible with you so people see it. For all they know, you're reading about the Kardashians on that phone. <laughs> but if they see a Bible, they're going to go, oh, okay. Let them see something so they'll ask a question. Now, once they ask, it says that we're to give answers, make a defense, which means apologia, apologetics. We're to give answers to those things. And we're supposed to as Christians. We should be growing in our biblical knowledge and understanding that we can answer questions that unbelievers ask. We're to do it with gentleness and reverence. Don't get into an argument. Don't get into a shouting match. Don't do, that's, that's not what God wants. As I shared with First Service, and I shared with some of the staff on Thursday, and I, every so often I shared a little bit about things that I've experienced in ministry. Only about three times in 40 two years, and in 30, it's like 37, 37 years of full-time ministry, have I ever had to get in someone's face who was in my face and overturn the tables of the money changers and spiritually, you know what, and, 
And I, uh, you know, that's, in the, but it's rare. It's rare. It's when they push and push, they're all, then I'm, okay, you want to do it? Here we go. Let's just dialogue it. And bang, I hit them. And I typically say something like, and I'm done with you now. And I walk away. And I do that. But it's only been three times. So don't think I'm like that all the time. Okay, I'm like that all the time. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but no, I, so you do it with gentleness. Now, one of the other things that Peter says is very important. When you're answering questions, you had better already sanctified Jesus in your heart, correct? In other words, you better settle it that you believe in Jesus Christ, that you believe He's the Messiah, that you believe He rose from the dead, that you know He's the God-man, so that when you're answering questions, even if you can't answer a certain question, you're not going to be talked out of your faith or into some lie or falsehood. Amen? Nobody's going to talk me out of my faith. Nobody's going to shake me. My foundations are strong. I've been building that foundation for 42 years in this Word of God, and now you're not going to shake me out of it. I don't care what you say. I know what I believe, and I know what it says. And so you got to sanctify it. Now, with that said, now we're going to go into four things today, and then there's really a fifth thing, but that's not a point. I'm just going to bring it at the very end. So the first two are going to be very quick why doesn't God do something about evil and suffering in the world? And you guys answered some of these questions. Sis, over there to my right, you, you did point one already, so let's just do it again. The first one is, God did not make the world this way. Did he? Did he? No, you live in a fallen world. This is not a world that Adam and Eve was first set in. Now, with that said, and you brought up Adam, sis, back there. Thank you for bringing pain to all men's hearts, okay? But, but anyway, now Adam, God creates a perfect world, does he not? Does he put perfect people in the perfect world? Yes, but then Adam decides, well, I'm going to sin. There's only one thing I can't do, guess what I'm going to do? That one thing. And so he sins, and he brings pain upon himself and his family, and then you read, chapter later, his son Cain, what does he do? kills the brother, brings pain to the family. And so now you see this fallen world. Did you know when Adam oh, disobeyed God and took a bite of that mango, it's a mango? Yeah, it's not an apple, it's a mango. No, I don't know what it was. But when he did that, the New Testament teaches that sin came through one person and sin spread to all men because all men sinned. It also said that at that moment that now the whole world that we live in is a fallen world and under the power of the evil one. Does that make sense? You don't have to look very far to know that, right? There's evil everywhere. You see the motivation behind these things. It's the evil one. Now, but that doesn't answer the question. Why doesn't God just stop all this evil in the world? Well, let's go to point two very quickly again. God gave humans a free will to choose. Did he not? Tim, you said that, right? He gave us a free will to choose. All right. Now, here's the thing about that. And here's what you got to think about now. Because it's amazing. Our God is, is all loving. Is he not? He's all powerful. Is he not? And so he's, he's all knowing, all loving, all powerful. Does he know the future? Does he know the moves we're going to make? Yes, he does. He knows all that. And yet, he can see in the future all the pain, all the suffering, all the misery we're going to bring on ourselves and others, and yet, he still creates us and allows us to exist. Why? It's, it's free will. Free will. God knows we're going to do it, but he had to give us free will. And the answer to that is because God, does anybody, anybody here ever wake up in the morning going, I wish I was a robot? 
If you think that, we've got to talk to you afterwards, okay? God didn't make robots. God didn't make us as advanced animals. Or as the modern atheists say, we're not computer meat. They say we are computer meat. There's no, they don't even use mind anymore. They say, you're a brain. They don't even acknowledge the mind anymore as a soul or anything like that. That's true. That's a true statement. But we're not any of those things. God made us humans with free will. Now, why is free will so important? That's point three. Without free will, love is impossible. Now, if you're married, did you force that person to love you? Did you say, you're going to love me? Or else? And then you get slapped, right? No, he did not make us robots. He didn't make us computer meat. If a robot, let's say, all you ladies, if a robot came in the room, and I'm going to date myself, anybody remember Lost in Space? Remember Robbie the robot? With the hooks, you know, and the whatever those are, the big bubble head and stuff like that. What if Robbie the robot came in, you know, warning Mr. Robin? No, I'm just joking. And he came up to you ladies, you're single, and he goes, I love you. I love you. And he goes to put his arms around you. I love you. Ladies, what would you do? What? Run? Break the glass? What, what you, you, you know, would you believe him? No, why not? Because a robot has been programmed, has it not? It cannot make its own independent choice. It has no autonomy. Not what, it's been programmed. God didn't just make us and program us and say, you're just going to do good for the rest of your life. He didn't do that. The same way in relationships, you don't want to force anyone to love you. You want them to love you by their own choosing, correct? When I asked Olivia to marry me, I was hoping she would say yes by her own choosing. You know what happened that night? I go, will you marry me? You know what she said? She didn't say yes or no. She goes, when? Oh, like five minutes from now, lady. When? She thought I wanted to leave that night or something like that. Because, you know, there's a Flaming Arrow Motel on 6. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Young people, cover your ears. But anyway. But, uh... <laughs> but you want them to choose a life. You cannot have a world with love in it without free will. And by the way, God is love. Is he not? So he's going to give us free will. Now... Let me illustrate it. I love movies, right? I'm a movie guy. Let me illustrate it this way about relationships and love and free will. How many have ever seen The Princess Bride? Raise your hand. I want to know. It's an awesome movie, isn't it? How many have never seen it? Darren, tell me you've seen the... Are you kidding me? That's it. Let's go. My house right now. Okay. So I, I pick on Darren because him, him and his uncle, we were really good buddies like 45 years ago or something like that. Okay, in The Princess Bride, you have great names. Princess Buttercup. You have Prince Humperdinck. Remember? There's, remember the old king he's seen now? Remember that? And so there's a scene where she goes, Princess Buttercup, and she's going to get married to Humperdinck, and she goes up to the senile king after the wedding ceremony, and she says, you know, I, I, you've always been nice to me. I love you. Now I'm going to go kill myself, okay? And she kisses him, and he's seen, and he goes, she kissed me, and he walks away, you know? And then why does she want to kill herself on her wedding day? You know why? Because she's been forced to marry Prince Humperdinck. Can you force someone to love? No. And that's why she wants to end her life. Because against her free will and her choice, she'd been forced. I'll take it a step further. Titanic? 
Why does Rose want to jump off the back of the ship in the North Atlantic frigid waters? Jack has to save her. Jack, no, whatever. But why? Because she's going to be forced to marry Cal. Her mother says, you, basically you have to because we're broke. Dad left us with nothing when he died. And so she's forced to marry him. And so instead of marrying him against her will, she wants to jump off the back of the ship and end it because you can't force anyone to love. Am I right? So you take this concept and you realize that without free will, you cannot really have love. And God is love and he wants love within humanity. So he's got to give us free will. Does it make sense? Does it make sense? Okay, good. Let me give you two things about free will. There's a beauty of free will. I can choose to love you. I can choose to trust you. I can choose to be your friend. I can choose to love God. I can choose to worship God. Or I can choose not to worship God. I can choose not to love God. That's the beauty of free will. Is that the beauty of it? But there's a problem of free will. I can choose to hurt you. I can choose to abuse you. I can choose to lie to you. I can choose to hurt myself. I can choose a lifestyle that hurts myself. I can hurt my family. That's, that's the problem. See, there's a beauty and there's a problem. And they both coexist because free will comes into play because love. And therefore, because God loves me, he gives me free will choice. And I can choose the beauty of it or I can choose the problem of it. It's just basically that simple. But you know what? That brings up another issue. And that's point four. God is impartial. Now, this is one where you really, I think if you really want to give a good answer, if you want to stay simplistic and not have to worry about everything else I said, this is one you got to get down. Here's the problem with impartiality. We'll get into it. People will maybe ask you, and maybe they will, maybe they won't. Why doesn't God just eliminate all the evil, all the bad people, and leave all the good people? Oh, Todd, don't get ahead of me. You had your chance to raise your hand. I mean, if he's all wise and all knowing, he knows all the bad people, all the evil, why didn't he get rid of them? Okay, question. If God intervened right now and said, we're going to get rid of all the bad, evil people at midnight tonight, where would you and I and every person on the planet be at midnight in one second? Where would we be? Obliterated, man. We'd be gone. Because who are the evil people? Who are the sinners? Everybody. Now, let's, we'll drill down further. Now, watch this. Now, turn to Romans. Now, we'll get into some scripture on this. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Let me show you what Paul writes about you and I and himself. By the way, Paul later on would, write, would say that before he came to Christ, he thought he was above reproach. He obeyed all the law. He doesn't sin. Now, watch what he says about it. After he comes to Christ and he comes to reality. In Romans chapter 3, check this out. Verse uh, 10 through 18. He says, it's a real uplifting set of verses. Okay, no, it's not, okay. It's reality. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. How many are righteous on the planet? Not even one. There is none who understands. <coughs> there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside Together they become useless, useless the idea of sour milk. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How many righteous people on the planet? None. Okay, let's check it out. Let's go a step further. Go back to Jeremiah, Old Testament. Jeremiah 17. Watch this. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Now watch this. It says this. Here's Jeremiah speaking. He says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, The heart, which is the seat of all our emotions, it's not the organ that pumps blood. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Have you ever just sat and thought about some of the ugly thoughts you think and I think? Has anyone ever done that? Anybody? It's sick. You're sick. I'm sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah tells us our heart's a mess. There's evil in us. We need a Savior that can change our hearts. Okay, so here's where it comes to when people ask the question, why doesn't God do something about evil? <clears throat> what they're really saying is this. And how's your, here's how I would ask them. Are you saying, why doesn't God do something about the evil out there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you say, well, what about the evil in here? What about the evil in my heart and the evil in your heart? And then you say, if God did something about all evil in everyone's heart, how many people would be left? And they'll go, if they're honest, they'll say, nobody. And that's why God doesn't do that, because he'll wipe out everybody. And back to the issue of point four, God is impartial. You see, if God just eliminated everyone and no one was left, who would God be, Marvel fans? Who would he be? Thanos. He'd be Thanos. He'd be Thanos. How many of Marvel fans like that one, huh? Good point, huh? It's good. Huh? He'd be Thanos. Just eliminate them all. Thank God God isn't Thanos, huh? Thank God we got a Captain America in Jesus Christ. Amen? I got my shield at home. No, I'm just joking. Now, here's the better question that you would ask in, in, in response. Why does God tolerate any of us? Isn't that a better question? I mean, why does why he tolerate me? You know what the answer is? Because, point four, he's an impartial, loving, compassionate, long-suffering God who is willing to suffer way longer than you and I think in, in waiting for God to do something, right? 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 He's waiting for people to repent. Watch this. Watch God's character. Turn to 2 Peter 3.9. Way in your New Testament. Way near the end of your New Testament. Jim, my spiritual muscles, you're making me turn here and there. I'm going to ache tomorrow morning. Now watch this about God. Peter writes this in 2 Peter 3.9. He says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness. But is what? He's patient toward who? Toward you and toward every person on the planet. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repent. Ah. So he's impartial. 
He's patient. He wants everyone to come to repentance. That's why he's long-suffering. That's why he waits. That's why he doesn't do something about evil or else he'd wipe everybody out on the whole entire planet. Now, let me get into the Christian mind just for a second because I jotted these notes down yesterday, I think it was, or Friday, because it just dawned on me. Something dawned on me. The Christian will say, and I've said it, it's getting bad out there, right? It's crazy, right? The immorality, the way of thinking is crazy. Okay, just so you know, it's been worse at other points in history in this world. It really has. I'm not nullifying the way things are spinning the wrong way, the thinking. I'm not nullifying it. But, <clears throat> but I want you to think about this. When a Christian, when you and I say, God, is bad out there. Do something about, aren't we saying do something about the evil out there? Didn't we just do the same thing? Yes or no? Yes or no? We're doing the same thing. What about the evil in here? What about you and I? See, what we're really saying is, you know, the things happen out there, God, do something. Because they're committing sin. Those are called sins of commission. Jesus spoke about sins of omission, too. Things you should be doing that you're not doing. When we say, God, do something about that. They're, they're doing this. It's sins of commission. The evil out there. Christian, how about the sins of omission? Do you tithe? Do you serve anywhere? Do you do anything here in the local fellowship? Has that time you shared your faith? You hold bitterness? Unforgiveness? Has that time you told your spouse you loved or loved him? You see, we can omit things too. And we can be just like that and say, well, the sin out there, come on. There's sin in here too. Don't fall into the trap. Don't fall in the trap. Otherwise, we think we're better than others. And we're not. We're not better than others. We just happen to be thankful that we're followers of Christ now. And we have, Jesus found us. And we, we say we found him, but he found us. Now, let me, can I drill down one more big thought? that people need to hear. Can I? Yeah, okay. Good, because let's do it anyway. I've done my best to give you some theological, in the short time I have here, theological and philosophical um, answers to the question. But then there's a bigger piece, I think, for some people. Do you remember when, and I, and I share this in almost every funeral I perform, you remember when Mary and Martha, their brother Lazarus, dies in John 11. Jesus comes back. He gets there too late. Lazarus is dead. Martha runs out and says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Well, she's saying, where were you? Why don't you do something? You had the power. You had the means. You could have done something. But you... And give, Jesus gives her a theological answer. Then after that, here comes Mary, the other sister, running out of the house. And what does she say to Jesus? Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. What is she saying? You had the power. You could have done something. You didn't do anything. You know, I thought you were loving. Where were you? To her, Jesus doesn't give theological answers. It just says, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. 
he is connecting with her emotionally. The first sister, he connected with her theologically. Different strokes, different folks. See, some people, we get stuck in our emotions. And I'm not negating that because when something bad happens and we're like, God, why? Why did you do something? Our emotions flare up. Do they not? Do they not? And so that emotional pain, and by the way, most people who walk away from God, they don't walk away from God over theological issues. It's already proven. They, they have studies on this stuff. They walk away on, because of emotional pain. Where were you, God? God, why'd you let this happen? So here's the biggest question in this realm of thought, of, of emotions. How? How do I reconcile my emotional pain, because we all have it at times, with my emotional pain and suffering, with the existence of an all-loving, all-powerful God who didn't seem to do anything when he could have and should have in my mind? How do I reconcile the two? Here's the answer. And it's just one of the two. You, you got to choose which, you, which one you're going to go by. You're either going to decide to face the reality of your pain and suffering and just abandon God. Or you're going to face the reality of your pain and suffering and you're going to hold on to God with everything you got. Am I right? You can't choose both. It's one or it's the other. Now let me throw some thoughts in that. Abandoning God or becoming an atheist or saying whatever the word you want to use, it gets rid of God. Question, does it get rid of your pain? Never does. Question, abandoning God does it increase your pain or lessen your pain? It makes it worse. It makes pain and suffering worse because now I have zero hope in my life because now I'm left to my pain and suffering and all my pain and suffering, it becomes meaningless and valueless. It has no practical meaning or worth in my life. All this pain and suffering. But if I stay with God, if I stick to Him, the pain and the suffering in my life, God can turn it bend it into some kind of eternal thing or some present, current good in my life. Anybody follow me? Jim, can you prove that? Yes, I can. Romans 8, 28. Watch this. And we what? We know. Christian, you got to know this. Know. Greek word, genasco. Spanish word, conosco. It means to know intimately. And we know this. you got to know this. That God causes... How many things? Good, bad, sideways, upside down. All things to work together for good. <coughs> to those who what? Love God. You're sticking to God. You're not abandoning Him. To those who are called according to His purpose. It's not your life. You surrendered it. When are you going to surrender it all and do what He wants? That's why you're miserable. You're doing what you want, Eve. Oh, you'll be a God, Eve. Knowing good and evil, you a shot caller. That's why you're miserable. God can take all these things, all the pain, all the suffering, if I hold on to Him and I stay in relationship with Him. Atheism, it leaves me in my pain. It takes all hope away from me. But God gives me hope eternally and currently in my life. Hope's a good thing. Guys, let me finish this way because God just gave me this last night. And, and, and I tried it for service. I think it worked. I've used this movie many times, and I, I don't apologize for that. Shawshank Redemption. Good movie, huh? Oh, yeah. 
there's that scene where Andy, he's been in the hole, and they bring him out, isolation. And, he, and they said, it was tough on me. He goes, easiest, whatever, two weeks, he's done. Go, oh, they don't believe that. He goes, yeah. He goes, I took Mr. Mozart with me. He goes, they let you bring that record player in there? Go, no, he's in here. They can't take that away from me. It's one of the, I can hold, they can't take it away. He says, what are you talking about? I'm talking about hope. He says, I'm talking about hope. And then read Morgan Freeman. He gets upset. Because hope's dangerous. You gotta let go of that stuff. It's a dangerous thing. See, because Red's frustrated. Because you find out later in the movie when he comes up for parole and he finally un unloads his heart, he's lost all hope. He wishes he could go back and change his life for the mistakes he's made. But he can't, he knows it, and he's lost hope. Andy never lost hope. And then Andy digs his way out. It took him 20 years. and he's gone and Red's lonely and so Red he goes into that parole office he comes to parole he just lays it out and they parole him and he goes and he gets the job and he knows he's not going to make it because I'm not going to make it but he remembers Andy said a name of a town in Mexico say Watanejo and he made Red say it and then Andy sent him a postcard when it, when Andy escaped, and it said Fort Hancock, Texas, and he says, that's where Andy crossed to go to Mexico. Andy had told him about a rock under an oak tree. Go to that rock over in Buxton. And Red goes there. And he digs up the rock, and underneath it, you'll find something. He finds it, and he finds a letter from Andy. He says, if you come this far, maybe you're willing to go a little bit further. You remember the name that I told you? He goes, yeah. Say what the nail is, thinking in his mind. And there's money in there to, to get there. And then, of course, the music plays, and all of a sudden you see Red's face, water eyed, and it's hope. 40 years he's been in prison, and now he has hope. <laughs> Red packs up his suitcase, puts on his suit, goes down to the bus station, and he buys a ticket, Fort Hancock, Texas. And he's inside that bus, and he's excited, he's giddy. And he says, it's the hope and the feeling only a free man can know. And then he says these words. He says, I hope the Pacific is as blue as it's been in my dreams. And as the movie comes to a close and he's walking on the beach, it's one of the greatest endings in my opinion. He says, I hope to see my friend Andy. And then he finishes with, I hope. And Red finds Andy on the beach in Sehuatanejo. And you watch the character of Red moving from a disgruntled, frustrated, angry, don't, don't get any hope in your life because it just leaves you empty. And he becomes a man of hope. And he follows that line of hope. And his life changes for the better. Listen, I don't know when your situation is going to change. Just like I can never predict when mine's going to change. But I know I stay concrete in the word of God and Jesus Christ. And I keep my hope. Because the Bible says in Romans 5, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. When things go wrong, when things go sideways, and you start going, why God, why God? Yeah, you can abandon God for a while. You can walk away from church for six months or a year, whatever you want to do. 
They don't do any good. Makes it worse. Makes it worse. Or you can love God and stay called according to His purpose and watch God take all things, good, bad, sideways, upside down, and work it all, work it all for the good, for the good in your life. But you got to make Him the Lord. Oh, Jim, I'm Christian. I don't care if you're Christian. How many Christians I know don't make Him Lord? How many Christians I know tell me things that are so contrary to Scripture? Do what this says. You're not God. You do what this says. And you watch what God does. You watch the newness He brings in your life. And He makes you better, not bitter. But you got to give Him the entire life, Christian. And if you're not a Christian, if this made sense to you, thank God. But if you're not a Christian and it's time to place your faith in the God-man, Jesus Christ, the creator of you and this universe, the one who came and died for you on a cross, was buried, rose from the dead, all evidenced in history, then it's time to place your faith in him. It's time to get over yourself. This is it now. And walk as a Christian, walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then watch what God does. You will have ups and downs, but God will be with you and your foundation will be strong if you follow him. Close your eyes, bow your head, please. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, and I mean surrender, you've never <laughs> done that, or else you backslid, or else you know your heart is not given over to what these things say in Scripture, it's time to do it. Let's quit playing now. It's time to give your life to Christ now. If you're in any one of those three positions, you want to give your life to Christ, you want to rededicate your life, you want to say, you know, I'm tired of being a 30% Christian running my own life. It's time to give my whole life to him and do what the good book says. If you're in any one of those three, I want you to open up your eyes, look up at me right now, and I'm going to look back at you. When our eyes meet, you can close them. Do it right now. Do it right now. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I appreciate that. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. It takes guts to follow Jesus. God bless you. 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 Appreciate that. God bless you. Now I want you to recite this prayer after me. The prayer means nothing in and of itself. But if you put your faith in Jesus, in that prayer, the Spirit of God will come to live in you, your sins will be forgiven, and you'll become a follower of Jesus Christ, and the DNA of the Holy Spirit will come to dwell in you now. You'll be a child of God. What a great thing. I want everyone to repeat this prayer here, at home watching me, wherever you're at. And those who looked up at me, you say it with us and mean it. And it's going to change your life. So let's repeat this prayer. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would lay down your life for my life. So I give you my life, all of it. I surrender to your will. It's not my will, but your will be done. I put my faith in you. Forgive me of my sins. And I know I'm forgiven. Thank you for saving me. Now let me pray. God, I pray for everyone who said that prayer. 
I, friend, you have to follow up now. You got to get into church. You got to get into Bible study. If you don't have a Bible, go to our Welcome Center. They'll give you a Bible, a simple translation that you can understand. Stay in the New Testament and the Gospels and New Testament. Stay there for a couple years. Tell somebody you said that prayer. You can't be alone in this. Tell the Christians you know, hey, I became a Christian. You got to do that. You cannot avoid that. You got to do that. In fact, if you said that, if you looked up at me and said that prayer right now, just tap the person next to you. Well, I don't know. It don't matter. They'll be excited. Just tap them so that somebody knows. And thank you, Lord, that all of heaven rejoices over anyone who repents and comes to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're such a great and marvelous God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.